Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Mississippi State makes a late-season move on the baseball coaching staff, but is it too late to save the Diamond Dog season? Let's talk about it here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to this Monday evening edition of the Doghouse and brought to you by Bet Online, where the game begins. Well, the game ended today for Scott Foxhall, at least at Mississippi State. The fifth-year pitching coach was relieved of his duties on an officially Monday afternoon, and boy, are we glad we saved recording this podcast until the news came out. Sad news in a way, because I like Scott, and let's get the positives in the front, because what he did in conjunction with Coach Lamonis and staff in 2021, managing that staff from the very start of the season when he held Will Bednar back two weekends without throwing him, even though it was a very minor situation, as I've always said, including on that uh, documentary last year, Banner Year, who knows that those two weekends missed in uh, February didn't come back very handy in June. Of course, how he handled Bednar as his ace in the NCAA tournament run, then, of course, in Omaha especially, and resisted the temptation to overwork Landon Sims, that made Mississippi State's national championship very possible. The pairing, in fact, won the championship game itself, and for that, we owe Foxhall a debt of gratitude. And, of course, he produced some uh, first-round draft choices, i.e. he inherited them, but still, he had a hand in their development as professional prospects. He was able to sign some good talent, and now there's still good young talent on this roster, but he will not be developing it any further. Coach Chris Lamonis decided after the weekend drubbing at Tennessee, where the, let's just say, the ERA totals were ghastly, though actually not the worst of the season. The Vanderbilt weekend produced a collective ERA of something in the range of about 16. So relatively speaking, the ERA for the Tennessee series didn't look so hideous, just awful. And things like that, not so much how the Bulldogs gave up runs, but the way they consistently got behind, walked, hit batters, all sorts of things obviously wrong with the pitching staff, things getting both mental and physical there. A change was going to be made at the end of the season, but I'm going to say this, not bragging, not because I had any special insight other than what four decades plus in this business provides, But the time Tennessee Saturday hit its third three-run homer to take a 9-1 lead, I sat down at this laptop and began pecking out a story that Scott Foxhall was relieved of his duties. Indeed, it came true two days later. I'm not tipping the hat for that. I'm just saying you saw it coming certainly at the end of the season. As it turns out, it happened in the season with barely a month left for the Diamond Dogs, especially if they do not qualify for the SEC tournament. We'll go more in-depth on that, but first, let's talk about our sponsor, BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball information. Yes, there are people who pay attention to professional basketball this time of year. I don't claim to be one of them, but y'all who enjoy it, have at it. And use BetOnline to get your info, your stats, your news and scores. More than that, get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs besides professional basketball. You've got professional baseball well underway, NHL hockey, right on to ultimate fighting and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including the live betting options and your favorite casino and card games that you can play right from your home. 
Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action and be sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Well, as mentioned, the game has ended for Fox Hall here at Mississippi State. Again, we also knew that it was going to happen at the end of the season. Now, in a larger picture, how does that impact Coach Chris Lamonis' own job security? Every indication we have, certainly through Steve Robertson, who covers the team more closely than anyone else, is that barring something totally disastrous, that Lamonis should be back for another season there. But anytime you start letting staff go before the season is over, you've sent a signal that the situation has gone too serious to wait for the normal sit, uh, hiring and firing situations. And I mentioned hiring first because now that's going to be on his mind. Now, Chris Lamonis will have his call-in show at 6 o'clock on Monday, Central Time, and we'll be monitoring that. Maybe there he'll give some information because I surely Jim Ellis is going to ask him who will be calling pitches. I would expect Lamonis and uh, Kyle Cheesebro to have a hand in that while Jake Gotro is left to take care of the offense. And as we'll talk about in a moment, despite the image, the offense needs just as much work as the pitching does. But sticking to pitching at this point, um, State's making the change. Now, they don't have a Tuesday night game this week. And by the way, that's another reason why I figured maybe I should start writing a story, because if you're going to make a move in the season, this was really your last chance to do it. They were not going to get back from the Tennessee series on Saturday evening. And by the way, that turned into a hassle because... And Mississippi State is not the only program that's been uh, disrupted by the lack of charter services available when the SEC scrambled the schedules at the last minute. So State had its own issues getting everybody back on separate flights and buses for the weekend. They were off on Sunday, and now they don't have a Tuesday game to prepare for, and they start the next series hosting Arkansas on Friday. It gave time to both take care of this business, painful as it is for Lamonis and Foxhall both because they are friends, to let the team handle the shock, even if they knew it would happen at some point. Eventually, when it happens right now, midseason is going to be a shock factor. The pitchers especially. Now everybody has most of a week to recover from it, to set their minds straight, to get used to who's calling, what's calling, how things work, and get ready to host the Arkansas Razorbacks. But it's still amazing how bad this pitching staff has been statistically. And the record obviously means much more than the statistics in state. Yes, has the fewest wins of anybody in the SEC at this point. Pitching wins and wins overall, obviously. But I mentioned the staff ERA. is They are in practically uncharted territory for Bulldog history. No, I haven't gone through every season in the past. I know that there have been worse years in the primitive days of Bulldog baseball with uh, ERAs were an interesting little topic there, but let's face it, an SEC program with a 6.62 ERA is just out of its league, no pun intended, and that's why the Bulldogs right now are 12th, clinging by fingernails, another topic we'll get to before this is over, but when your current rotation of Landon Gartman, who fortunately did return for the Tennessee series after being out for a weekend, 6.75, Urangelo Sanjay, 6.75 also. And then your uh, roll the dice um, starter, probably Cade Smith, obviously, when he's full to go, 5.54. Starting pitchers are going to have struggles with their ERA, unless you're just a true ace there. But those numbers are just unthinkable 
for a state rotation, certainly for a, a program that prides itself on setting the NCAA tournament as a bare baseline for the season, which they're not going to make this year unless they have some kind of incredible run in these last nine SEC games. They have six wins. The very fewest they could think to get into the tournament would be 12. You're asking them to win six out of the remaining nine games with series against Arkansas at LSU and Texas A&M. Well, by the way, uh, I'm not asking them because I looked up the numbers there. Mississippi State's remaining opponents, their combined SEC record at this point is 38-24. and 24. Missouri, who is now one game behind the Bulldogs, yes, it's by percentages, but you know, hang with me. We, at this point, we'll just say one game behind. Their opponents are 22-41. and 41. Ole Miss, which won a couple of games over the weekend, is now tied with Missouri for last place, although the tie break does go to the Tigers temporarily. They're combined 23-37. and 37. So Missouri and Ole Miss both have much, much easier closing runs compared to what the Bulldogs face. So as I wrote uh, yesterday, the Bulldogs are clinging to that 12th place, the last berth in Hoover, by their fingernails and everything else they can grab a hold of. It's just, no, I don't think they're going to make Hoover. that's not a revelation. I really doubt that you thought so either at this point, just based on the remaining schedule and based on what we've seen in the last few weekends. And to think that they went into the Auburn weekend with all sorts of optimism, a chance to be in 10th place overall. Instead, they come out in 12th. They're still in 12th, but again, when you're facing Arkansas, LSU, A&M in that kind of row, and you were beaten by a series at Auburn, and yes, you had a chance to win at least one, possibly two at Tennessee, but you didn't. And that's been a tone in so many series. Same thing at Auburn. State should have won two, could have won three, and only won one. Pitching is the obvious culprit. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, though, to say that uh, don't excuse the offense either. You'll get more details on that as we move forward. For right now, again, let's talk about the fact that Foxhall's been released and Mississippi State has made the move. Now, why would you make that sort of move at this point of the season when you know you're going to do it at the end of the year? Why not uh, just let things ride out? Because I, I don't know if I'm going to say that releasing your top assistant with a month left on the schedule is a way of waving the white flag. Maybe there's something to that element in the backs of their minds, but I think there's also the hopes that maybe this kicks something into gear. Pitchers take more responsibility for themselves instead of letting all the heat fall on their pitching coach and maybe just want to do more because they've got to have uh, something on the resume to show the next pitching coach as well. So why would I do it at this point? And this is me, the non-coach, the non-administrator. A couple of reasons. I think you want to name a new coach as quickly as possible. That does not mean having him on the job before the season ends. I don't think that's practical. might be too much of a shock to too many systems in that regard. But here's the point. If you don't make postseason play, it allows that many more days and weeks for your players to consider, do I go to the transfer portal? What's my future? I don't know who my coach is going to be. I've really got to take care of myself. If they know who the coach is, they can start doing their research and figure out, do I fit in this guy's plans? How does he match up with what I like to do, his style, what's his record at other schools, other programs? Can I find some film on what his pitchers look like and maybe compare myself to it? 
because all this information is available, both the statistically and video, for players to do their own scouting of prospects. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there's quite a few pitchers right now thinking, this is who I'd like to be my pitching coach, and maybe starting to uh, politic for it behind the scenes very carefully. The point being that it would be good for the veteran pitchers, and for that matter, the recruited pitchers over this past year, to know who the next pitching coach is going to be as soon as possible. That doesn't mean, again, having him brought in anytime soon, but some knowledge and certainty on that part would help with the retention of pitchers, and that's going to be a very big deal in this name of NIL. There are some young pitchers on the staff, not to mention just pitchers, but position players, who there are programs out there that, uh, quite frankly, are going to make NIL runs at them, whether behind the scenes or maybe a little more blatantly. I could mention a certain SEC program that got itself in trouble doing that this past year, but... Uh, That's another story for another day. So in retention of players, in retention of recruits, and that includes also the wild card always existing in college baseball, the Major League Draft, which comes up in July. So it is very much in the interest of Mississippi State to go ahead and get that new pitching coach selected. Now, Chris Lamonis has been around the business long enough that I guarantee he's got contacts everywhere. And I know he can find somebody who will take the job and probably someone who take the job quickly who has a current job right now, but still will be able to uh, get in touch with the Bulldog pitchers once everybody's season is over and it's legitimate to talk to players. And if not meet with them in person, although that's ideal, talk to them by phone, get exchange text, get some, share some ideas, that sort of thing. I think this is a case where the sooner the better. I'm sure most of you agree with me in that regard involving, again, retention, recruiting, and the draft status. So I think a move has to be made quickly. Now, whether it will or not, I don't know. That's why, as I record this, we're still about a half hour away from the coaches' show, and I want to hear what Lamonis has to say in regard to that, as, as much as he's willing to at this point, because you know this has been a very emotional day for him. As said, Foxhall is his friend, and we owe Foxhall for a good job done in 2019, Uh, We'll never know how 2020 would have turned out, but the Bulldogs were starting to click things together when COVID shut down the season. And of course, 2021 stands on its own. At the same time, 2022 and so far 2023, they also stand on their own too as I could run through the list of the categories in SEC games only that Mississippi State ranks 14th or at best 12th or 13th pitching-wise, whether it's ERA, hits allowed, runs allowed, earned runs allowed, um, all sorts of things. Oh, by the way, home runs allowed, too. This has very much been a home run staff given up. Walks, all sorts of things. You know those numbers probably as well as I do at this point by now, if you care to even look at them. And those of you who don't want to look at them, I'll take the pain for you and check those out. But statistically, there's nothing this staff does well except strike people out. But as said before, strikeouts are not a particularly efficient thing. That was one of John Cohen and Butch Thompson's mantras because statistically they're right. Strikeouts generally take more pitches than do a ground ball out or a flyout. Strikeouts look great, and every one of Foxhall's Mississippi State staffs averaged double-digit strikeouts. Of course, 2021 set the all-time record with both three dogs with 100 strikeouts themselves in a staff total of, of something like, was 817. Yes, they played the most games ever, but still, they were averaging the most strikeouts per game of any modern team. 
So this team could strike guys out, but they sure could walk guys. And maybe even more frustrating than walks, they could hit batters. The number of free bases given out. Well, I've got the stat sheet in front of me right now. Uh, what is it? 43 wild pitches, 52 hit batsmen, two balks. Now, they haven't run afoul of the pitch clock. I'll give them credit for that. They've been able to get their pitches off ahead of that 20-second clock. But they've given up 65 home runs, six doubles. That, that's to, it takes something to give up that many doubles. I'm sorry, triples in SEC play and 62 doubles as well. So 455 strikeouts, but 255 walks. That ratio simply will not fly in this league. Yes, there were some injury problems during this season, but everybody in the SEC of note has had injuries this year. LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss, they've all lost starters. Some of them lost, for all intents and purposes, aces. So injuries are just part of the game as far as pitching goes. You can't use that as an excuse for your staff struggling when other staffs have same or worse injuries and are able to make it happen. Well, the weak point, as most of you would say, and I'm going to say as well, was more so in evaluation and development. Now, they signed guys with good resumes pitching-wise. Some just didn't develop in some in many a case because they were not going to develop. They, you, a lot of pitching signing has got to be guesswork. That's just the blunt truth of it. If these guys don't turn pro, then you've just got to guess that the ratings – what you've seen with your own eyes, what your friends in the scouting business tell you, that I can turn this guy into a competent college pitcher. Sometimes you can, often you can't, or often it takes longer than you anticipated, and you just got to move on to other people. That said, there have been undeniable mistakes in both evaluation and development on this pitching staff. I think 2022 would not have gone nearly so deeply out of control now, now, that was a case where I will say losing Landon Sims after he was converted from a reliever to a starter by his own request, don't hang that one on Scott Vauxhall. That was the pitcher's decision, and it was what he wanted to do and probably his best career move at the time. At the same time, it left you vulnerable in other areas. Then when he's gone and you start losing other personnel, there were not players properly prepared to step up into the roles needed to. Now, that's part of the aftermath of winning a national championship when you do have guys you rely on so much, limited staff. At the same time, you've got to somehow be developing them, especially in fall ball, and getting them ready. Well, obviously, State wasn't ready for this season. They went on I don't know how many rotations. I did know at one time, and I just finally, frankly, lost count. But they've been scrambling all season long to figure out a rotation around injuries, either major or minor and just who could and who could not handle the mental pressure of being a starter in conference play. Uh, by the way, the status of a Nate Dome remains uncertain. Hopefully uh, we're able to hear something from Lamonis tonight that he could be back by this weekend. But bluntly, with this many weekends left in the season, it's also a decision time for him. Do you take a chance on coming back and maybe hurting yourself going into summer ball, or do you want it to go out there and throw? So that's not an easy decision either way. And that's something that a head coach has to make more than a pitching coach. So anyway, so State now is looking for a new pitching coach and a new direction for the pitching staff. 
I mean, you and I could come up with a few names out there, but most of them are already head coaches or have good jobs. So it's going to be fascinating to see what names do start surfacing behind the scenes. Um, Lamonis is pretty tight-lipped about such things, but stuff has a way of leaking in the baseball business because everybody knows who's talking to everybody, and uh, everybody likes to talk about who's talking to everybody. So we'll find out something surely in the next couple of weeks of who states most interested in, and then the hire will come completely out of left field, and we'll be left thinking, oh, who is this guy? But another coaching search for Mississippi State this year, uh, not on the order of a head coach, thankfully, not yet, but it's uh, it's a, about as prime a position as you get. I mean, maybe you could say that offensive coordinator would draw more interest than a pitching coach, but at Mississippi State, it's going to be a pretty close battle head up between those two positions is what's of more obsession by the fans. And frankly, offense, uh, maybe something State has to be concerned about as well. I mentioned that uh, early on. I want to go through a few numbers here. We're so focused on the pitching, particularly the relief pitching this past few weekends, with obvious reason because, as I said, it was awful. The offense hasn't exactly covered itself in glory either. For the Auburn series, they batted 265. For the, for the Tennessee series, 237. For the, matter of fact, for the Ole Miss series, State was only 202 batting average that still managed to win two games out of three. How did they do it? Because 10 of the 18 hits in the Ole Miss series, 18 hits for three games, mind you, still one, two, were extra base hits dominated by home runs. In the Auburn series, 11 extra base hits out of 27 total base hits. In Tennessee, 13 out of 23 hits went for two or more bases. State has no trouble, relatively speaking, getting the extra base hit. It's getting the hits for average that is really struggling for this batting staff. Now, some of that obviously has to do with shuffles in and out. For instance, a State had to make a change this weekend for reasons that maybe Lamonis will get into, but has been kind of a well-guarded, although video evidence is that uh, Slate Alford did not endear himself to his staff or team after one of the games Tennessee, so he lost his starting position to Nate Chester at third base. Well, you're throwing a kid out there who went to Tennessee probably thinking, if I play, it'll only be in mop-up innings, and now you're starting an SEC series where State had, and I do mean had to win at least one game, and didn't. That's the kind of things happening all over this team sometime this year because they were riding already a revised left side of the infield in shortstop David Mershon and Alford, and now it's Mershon, and for the foreseeable future, Chester, unless Alford's back in good graces, or unless they want to put uh, Mershon back at third base and give Lane Forsythe his first action since the second game against Ole Miss. No, I don't think that's going to happen either. So the batting, it's, it's just so frustrating because when a team is capable of that many extra base hits, it shows the contact is obviously there. But where's the contact for average? And that's where you're letting it down because too often State gets up in positions to really, and I mean really, blow things open in a single inning, and they just need that one base hit, not a double, not a home run, as great as those are. Just get a base hit, pour some more runs in, chase that pitcher, make the other team start using up more in order to their bullpen. And they were close at Tennessee. They certainly made that happen at two games at Auburn, just tearing into their bullpen as well, but they could not quite seal the deal. So that's what I mean. The run totals... 
at least in two out of three games each of the past two series, have been excellent, but not in the third game until you start looking at the raw average and think this is just such a, no pun intended, hit or miss batting order. State certainly shuffled the order from changing your number one guy, Amani Larry. Now he's hitting well down in the order with Mershon moving up first. And by the way, that's turned out to be a pretty good move for the true freshman. His season average is up to 278. Uh, not much power there, but uh, he gets on base. And he does things there because he's backed up by Colton Ledbetter and Hunter Hines. Dakota Jordan didn't have a great weekend at Tennessee after the first night. But every time you watch him play, you just want to hold your breath and think this guy could be so spectacular with further development and refining. But still, the offense just is not consistent enough. They're solid in SEC stats, but if there was a category for clutch hitting, that's where not nearly on the order last year. Now, 2022 was almost absolutely unique in that as we've talked about before, if the dogs got two runners on base in scoring positions with less than two outs, you just wrote off the inning because you knew something bad was about to happen and they wouldn't score those guys. And that's why they ended up being last in the SEC. This year, if they do indeed turn out to be last in the SEC, it won't be so much because the guy is left on base in raw total but in specific situations in high-scoring games, I'm talking 12 to 10, 11 to 9, uh, one-run games in double digits both ways, when you need that one extra thing to happen, this offense is close but not quite enough to get over the top. So this is not a commentary on Jake Gotro, by the way. He's still working with what he's got, and you can still see that there are guys that are continue to develop. By the way, Hunter Hines, congratulations. He's not even two full seasons into his Bulldog career, and already he's top 10 in career home runs. And should he decide to stay for four seasons, well, that record's going to be obliterated. Well, I don't know that many guys stay for four seasons anymore, Jake Mangum being the freak example uh, that of one that does. But if you get good hitters who can stay there around that long in college ball, then you really have a chance to pile up some statistics now. So, what are we blundering about today? I've said it for weeks now, and I will say it again. There is too much individual talent on this team, on this roster. We've seen it in action. We've seen enough good games out of individual players to know that this team should not be hanging on to the last available berth at Hoover and then looking at probably losing that and finishing out of the SEC tournament for consecutive years. What happens if that does improve the case? What will Athletic Director Zach Selman, who's only been on the job since January, what will he think about Lamonis's performance and standing? Now again, our expectations are that Chris will be indeed coming back for another season next year, that this was not a case of so much you know, throwing somebody over the side to save your own job. Uh, the change was going to happen after the season regardless, he decided to be preemptive and go out and get it done now, and hopefully that does improve State's recruiting or at least solidify it again and avoid damage to it. And maybe I should worry more about that than improving it. Just don't let the recruiting class get hurt. Try to hold your young pitchers on the staff now by knowing who your new guy is and set up for the draft with the same idea that uh, if you're a low-round pick, you're better off coming back and letting a new coach 
turn some tricks and develop you into a draftable guy in 2024. That's my thinking. What Lamonis is thinking, I don't know. I don't pretend to know. That's his job. He's a good coach. He's got the track record to prove it overall. But these last two seasons have put so many things in grave doubt that it's fair for all of us to wonder. And he knows it. He knows how the game is played. He's not shying away from the reality of things. Even his body language sometimes on the sidelines the last few weeks has shown his own disgust. He's gotten into it with the umpires a little bit more. To his credit, he has not taken it out on his players, um, although he, he certainly had a few run-ins with players after they did something or did not do something on the field or at the plate, whether it's uh, mixing up your catcher or what you do after making contact with the bat or how you handle the opponent's heckling, things like that, because he is insistent on Mississippi State baseball being representing itself in the correct and proper way. Another way to phrase that is you got enough trouble as it is just playing the game. You don't need any more problems by making yourself jerks around the field, and he's not allowing that to happen either. But still, it's an uphill battle the rest of the way. Uh, Do I think State makes the SEC tournament? At this point, no, just because of who they play and who the other two contenders, Missouri and Ole Miss, don't have to play. But that's me. Yeah, you know, somebody raised the memory the other day. What about, uh, you know, have there been cases of teams that turn it on late? Not after coaching changes, because that didn't happen. This is one of the first that I can certainly ever recall in baseball. But, yeah, uh, 87. Now, that was a unique case in a lot of ways, because that team was just owned by freshmen. Uh, the Pete Young class, the Jody Hurst class, those people. Uh, just so many great players coming in, but they hadn't reached their potential until May. State enters the Sunday game with Alabama. If they play the game and win, they go to the SEC tournament, which is only six teams back then. If they play the game and lose, then they stay home. Season's over. And the game was delayed a couple hours by heavy rains. I'm there on the field myself, in fact, uh, getting good and soaked and the dugouts and after the rain finally stopped and run things like the the vacuum dry and all sorts of things around in the primitive days there and ron polk had the option he could have banged the game now yes mississippi state technically had the authority but ron could have said no we're going to call the game off that puts us in the sec tournament automatically state opted to play the game and alabama by the way was their contender if alabama wins they go to the sec tournament Alabama was grateful for the chance. Then they went and took the lead in the first couple of innings, but State came back, won the game, and went on that freak run in Athens in 87, four straight wins. Some of you may recall the Joey Bell incident in the championship game with LSU. I won't go into details about it here. Maybe sometime uh, when baseball's over, however soon that's going to be, we'll have a chance to do a little reminiscing on this show. But right now, we'd rather look forward. To what Mississippi State does, what Chris Lamontis decides to do with the pitching situation, he's already made the first and biggest move by relieving his friend Scott Vauxhall of the job. Now the challenge is to get a team ready to play this weekend, get the staff ready to go out and pitch against an Arkansas team that all of a sudden is hot again. Isn't that funny? State just seems to have this knack of catching teams like the Tennessees, the Auburns, and others just as they're starting to heat up and go on a run. Well, can't control that, but you control your staff, and Crystal Monis has taken control of that, and we'll see how the results are comes this weekend. So Mississippi State hosting Arkansas, 
man down on the coaching staff. Time for a whole bunch of pitchers to man up. So let's watch for the results. We'll certainly be following it here in the doghouse, brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. And if you like what you've been hearing, maybe not the news itself or the opinions, but just the show, give us a like on Apple Podcast. How about it? This is your host, David Murray. Good to talk to you again. And hopefully next time we're chatting, it's on a little bit happier subject. And at some point, promise, I'll get around to a belated wrap-up of spring ball and what's going on with Mississippi State football as they go into the summer. I had a piece on Gene's page today comparing how the various SEC schools did in the signing portal here in the second period. Uh, Here's a hint, almost nothing. Only three guys were signed, as best I can tell, by SEC schools. Uh, in this second window, but a fair number of guys in the 60s have left SEC schools for other addresses in the spring period. Doesn't compare to fall, but uh, you can check the stats out yourself and see what the recruiting class is as far as portal looks like for various schools and kind of compare notes. So football's never far from our minds as well, even as we get down this stretch run of baseball season. Thanks again for checking in, and we'll be talking to you next week here in the Doghouse. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.